On CGRU in Toronto, you're listening to Built to Play. I'm Armin Bali, And I'm Daniel Rosen. All right, the story we're going to start off this week is... Man, I, I kind of don't know how to get into this. What's bothering you about it? Well, okay, in some ways it's fairly personal. And in other ways, it's kind of a story about economics. The, you know, the least personal thing in the universe. So, okay, start as close to the beginning as you can get, and we're just going to move from there. Okay, that sounds good to me. Um, all right, so like it's... 2009, and Matthew Galt is on the couch playing Fallout 3. He's more than a little stoned. And he's been playing the game at this point for about 120 hours. I'd already beaten Fallout 3 before, but I got it into my head that I needed to complete it. I needed to 100% this game. I needed to see everything it had to offer. By any reasonable accounting, he's finished the game. Dan, what do you remember of Fallout 3? Uh, well, okay. Fallout 3, like all Fallout games, takes place in a post-apocalyptic America that is sort of uh, got boomed in the 1950s and is sort of a what we believed the future looked like yesterday, uh, but also in the apocalypse. Yeah. I, th- I think the thing that I always come back to is Fallout 3 is massive. And in, in an era where games like were just starting to get bigger, most players never beat Fallout 3. Forget seeing the whole thing. But that ended up being Matt's quest. He wanted to finish this game completely. No rock unturned. No bandit left alive. This particular time, I I had taken it even a step further and decided that I was going to extract all the value from every single encampment. So what this means is I was going from location to location, killing all of the bad guys, looting all of their corpses, and turning all of that into bottle caps, which is the game's currency, which is uh, crazy. Like, sometimes it would take me an entire eight-hour day or longer just to clear out one camp. In Fallout 3, you don't just go to a vendor and dump everything. Each vendor only had a certain amount of money to spend, so you'd have to go around to a whole bunch of different vendors, and you could only carry so much, so I was constantly ferrying back and forth from these locations. Are you all right? And it was late at night, I had no idea where my wife was. I was stoned out of my mind, and I had been ferrying loot back and forth that I didn't need. I didn't need any of this stuff to help me you know, progress further in the game. It was just, I was just going through the motions. And I, and I realized, like, I can't keep doing this. I have to stop. Okay, so we're, we'll get back to Matt's situation in a second. But Dan, what's the most hours you've ever put in a video game? Ultimate Marvel's Capcom 3. I, I, I played hundreds of hours of that. I mean, that makes sense to me because it's like, it's a sport. It's a game where you're trying to get better at it. You were playing online, I assume. A little bit. Not much. It was mostly my brother. It was okay. a lot of time with my brother. But it was a social experience, yeah. right? What about single-player games? Ones where it, the experience tends to be much more solitary. Uh, I mean, there is. it's often Pokemon games where, where my goal is either catching a lot of stuff or, or playing online. But it was primarily, you know, once I've beaten that single-player game, I'm still there to catch more Pokemon. I mean, and that sounds totally normal for me. Um, and I had a friend who, like Matt, was totally absorbed by Fallout 3 in particular. Um, the game came out in late 2018, and by the summer of 2009, he'd put in about 200 hours into the game. And that, that's more than the amount of time that Matt played. Yeah, totally. And whatever the number actually was, it was more than one week converted into hours. I, I teased him about it at the time, and that's how I remember the number, but he actually had all these amazing stories to tell. He'd run into this band of marauders by accident, and had barely made it out with his skin. He'd saved cities I didn't even know were in that game, and met fascinating people in the farthest reaches of the wasteland. 
But then again, he was 16, I was 17, and during our breaks, whether it was summer or winter break, we had a lot of free time and no responsibility. Matt's life was very different. I think the the timing for Fallout 3, is, for me, is specifically important because I was I was not yet writing. I was working a retail job that I hated. I was married, and the marriage was not going well. And I was smoking a lot of weed to cope with my problems. And what I would do is I would get home, and I would smoke a bunch of weed, and then I would just lose myself in Fallout 3. To be clear, Matt doesn't blame video games for that particular low point in his life. He doesn't blame weed either, for that matter. But... Matt was looking for a purpose. His job didn't matter, and he wasn't that great at it. Meanwhile, his home life was stressful. So completing Fallout almost became like this second job, a better job, where he was accomplishing the things he set out to do and being rewarded for it. Video games are great because you can pick up a controller and very quickly achieve something. You know, the games are designed to make you feel good about playing them. They're designed to give you dopamine hits, which is the the brain's reward uh, neurotransmitter. And, you know, you pick up, say, I'm playing Assassin's Creed Origins right now. So I pick up Assassin's Creed Origins and I play for a little bit and I finish a mission or I raid a crypt. When I do that, I get a dopamine hit. Uh, It makes me feel good that I've achieved something. So when you're at a place in your life where... Uh, as I was, you're stuck in a dead-end career. You go to work every day and you hate every single moment of it and you, you A, don't feel you're good at it, which I didn't at the time, uh, and B, don't feel like you're getting anywhere, like you're treading water. To be able to go home and then turn on a video game and within five minutes feel the way that your work or life should be making you feel, it's very seductive. It's very seductive. That seduction he mentioned is something I think a lot about, honestly, because I, th- I think I have a sense of how to lose yourself to it. Um, when I graduated university, I had a hard time finding work. All of my friends were still in university, or they'd actually managed to find a job elsewhere. So it kind of just became me on my computer every day for months, and I would hop on hoping that, like, today I would hear back from X job, but... I couldn't stand the constant feeling of rejection. I honestly still have a hard time with it, especially when it comes to jobs. But I started to get anxiety just looking at a cover letter or a resume. And eventually, I just stopped applying. Instead, I started playing Destiny, an online multiplayer shooter, which we've mentioned a few times before. I mean, Dan, do you remember the time, the first time we reviewed that game? What was my opinion then? Your opinion was that it was a Skinner box that you hated, but you could not stop playing. So, and that kind of was my position even now, especially the original Destiny. I didn't even like it, and I, but I still had that copy from when we reviewed it, and because I'd beaten it, I knew how that game worked, so pretty much every day, I'd put Destiny into my PS3, and I, I didn't even really have friends who were playing it, but you can repeat the same missions over and over again, that's how the game works, and then you get better armor, and you get better weapons, and then the game recommends these missions to try again week to week, and if you do them, it rewards you with more perks that you can use to get better trinkets and try harder versions of the same levels. Careful, its power is dark. So I, I did get better at playing Destiny, but it at times felt at the sacrifice of things I actually needed to do with my life. I played that game almost every day until about December. What happened in December? Well, by then I'd applied for a freelance project and had been approved. It didn't pay that much, but like I was having work. Like It was a thing I had to plan and set out for. Destiny is designed to push towards a big mission called a raid. Um, to even attempt it, you need a pretty large group of friends who are also playing the game, and then it lasts like 
something like 20 hours. I didn't have those friends. I just got my character good enough to attempt it and then had no reason to keep playing. So when I say that I think about that seduction, I really am curious how other people manage it. So I asked Matt how he solved his crisis. After I, you know, I put down the pipe and I put down the controller, uh, things changed very rapidly. I got on top of it. I was separated and then divorced within six months. Shortly after that, had uh, bit walked out of the retail job that I was in without having another one and then started working at a bookstore. And then from the bookstore started submitting places and started to build a career. And now I've, I've been in, you know, I've been in Vice, I've been in Reuters and I've been in the New York Times and I'm talking to you on the radio. You know, I didn't stop A, doing drugs or B, playing video games, but I did change dramatic, dramatically my relationships with both of those things and learned how to be healthy with them. I'm not a teetotaler. You know, the answer is not to remove your vices, I don't think. I mean, some people obviously... Yes, that's it's a huge problem. You can't you, you can't have those things in your life. But I think that a lot of people are just out of balance with the things that they love. What makes this more complicated is that we're starting to see games built to keep people playing longer, well after they've been quote unquote finished, which can be healthy. Like I think both of us have put a dismaying number of hours into the newer Destiny Two. Um, from your time with it, what do you think um, about it that keeps us playing? I just love the way Destiny 2 feels, right? The 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 movement, the gunplay, the Bungie coined this term gun feel. It's like the mouth feel of like a wine or something. But it really is there, and I've never played a game with gun feel that's like Destiny. And I keep playing just to get a new gun, and what'll this feel like? And what will this feel like? And just... In, with that being my primary mode of interaction with the world, I just want more interaction. It's like it's not like the most profound experience to have of the no. game, but I think we've had a like fairly ex- healthy experience so far, the both of us. Yeah. Um, neither of us are going to touch that new expansion that adds a bunch of missions to the game yet. Um, but Destiny 2, just like the first game, is clearly designed to keep you playing for weeks after you see tangible rewards. And there are other games along the same lines that are going for this concept. They're kind of going after the original Destiny. And the most famous version of that that has come out recently is Star Wars Battlefront 2. The loot box with the usual suspects of the AAA game industry finding new and more exploitative ways of implementing microtransactions with randomized outcomes in order to bring gambling to video games in every way but the name. Star Wars Battlefront 2 is really convoluted, at least how like the economy works, so I'm not going to go into it too much detail, but just so you know, Battlefront 2 is a competitive multiplayer shooter set in the Star Wars universe. You can play as iconic heroes and villains like Luke Skywalker or Darth Vader, but only if you opened an absurd number of loot boxes and gathered an in-game currency. What would you say is a good definition of a loot box is? Uh, a loot box is, generally speaking, a in-game consumable item that when consumed gives you a random item, either cosmetic or gameplay or a little bit of both. And like with Team Fortress 2, that was just hats. It and was it, hats or, or, or like weapon modifications. In Destiny, it's new colors for your armor and for your speeder. In Star Wars Battlefront 2, it's characters you can play as and attacks they can use. Which is like, actually does fundamentally change the game. Um, you could turn some of these items in the loot box into a currency, which could eventually be used to buy characters. But that's only if you dedicated hours into Battlefront. The game encourages you to keep getting these currency bonuses and re- regular rewards. Matt had heard about these problems. Um, they were everywhere. I think it was pretty much inescapable to not hear about Star Wars Battlefront's two uh, loot box problems. But Matt gave the game a shot anyway. 
like I put 26 hours into that game and I don't like that game, but I was playing it. I felt drawn to it because I wanted to fill up those bars and finish those cycles, even though I didn't really care for the game. I ended up uninstalling it after I realized that I put it down, but it still gets me. I still have to be on watch for this stuff. Again, we're talking about a video game. Battlefront 2 isn't cocaine, neither is Fallout 3. And you're not winning anything tangible in these games. You get a cool trinket in a universe designed to show off cool trinkets. You can stop anytime, or you should be able to. And when you can't, maybe you should take a break. I keep very, very busy with work. And I always make sure to, if I have, um, it's, it's this idea where I know that this thing is a problem in my life, so I'm always watching out for it. So if I find myself putting off spending time with friends or ignoring a social interaction because I want to go play a video game, I know that something needs to change. I always prioritize social interactions over playing a video game, unless, of course, the two are joined, because sometimes that's that's possible. Sometimes you're hanging out with your friends to play video games. And I always I, I, I have a schedule and I keep to it and I don't play video games when I'm supposed to be working. Everyone has to find their own level. And it's going to be hard for some people to do that. This stuff is serious stuff. And it may seem silly to some listeners, hopefully not of this show, that you could get in true trouble with video games or have a problem with it. But it's it's a real thing. And if you can find someone to open up to and talk to about this stuff, uh, that is a big, big deal, too. It will help just to just to let someone else know what's going on. Uh, even if they're not a trained counselor or psychologist, I would urge you then to after you you know talk to a friend to go find a trained counselor or psychologist. But you know I think I think those things help. What would you advise as as signs that perhaps it is time to stop playing? If you aren't having fun anymore, if it does begin to feel like a job, um, those are big signs. And also if it's affecting your daily life. If you are waking up tired because you were up till 4 a.m. trying to make sure that you caught the last bit of loot in a Destiny 2 raid, then something needs to change. If you are sluggish at work or you hate work and you're not trying to you're not trying to find a new job, um, something needs to change. If it takes more and more time with a game to feel good playing the game, something needs to change. Thank you to Matthew Galt. He's a contributor to Motherboard, where he wrote the story Confessions of a Semi-Reformed Video Game Completionist. He has his own show called The War College, all about fascinating stories in military history. You're listening to Built to Play. I'm Ernick Bali. And I'm Daniel Rosen. And Dan, what do you have to show me today? I have for you the list of lists. Oh, God. What? Okay. Is this the list? This is the list. Uh, this is Polygon's feature called the 500 Best Games of All Time, which is an insane undertaking that the Polygon and extended Polygon staff and contributing staff uh contributed to um and i think both of us were surprised by the existence of this because i don't think there are 500 video games let alone 500 best video games i didn't know that there were 500 video games that were merit merited being put on a list but they clearly proved us wrong exactly 
And what I wanted to do with you, Armand, is I wanted to talk about your favorite games of all time. Okay. And I and and I'm, we're gonna get to a point with this, but all I'm right. gonna ask you, Armand. Could you name me some of your favorite games of all time? All right, let's go with um, Pokemon Soul Silver. Where do you think Pokemon Gold and Silver, they're connected, are ranked? Oh, God. Um, 500 games. And for bonus points, please guess the game it is better, uh, objectively better and worse than. Oh, God. Um, uh, I mean, I, I might be able to cheat a little bit at the second part because I, I have seen parts of the list before. Yep. Um, I'm going to say 100 and... 12 you are incorrect okay it is 192 oh what come on it, it is at least mer- that's a top 200 yeah now it, it is below about over 100 spots below pokemon red and blue which i think both of us agree is not correct no um but would you like to uh take a guess at the game it is objectively worse than okay um it is objectively worse than this is kind of a cheat uh legend of zelda majora's mask uh, I mean, I don't know where Majora's Mask falls in, but it is objectively worse than number 191 on the list, which is Sonic the Hedgehog 1. <laughs> what? Yes. Wait, no. You can't... We're going to break into Polygon right now and start a fight, Dan. <laughs> Sonic <laughs> is very high on this list. Uh, would you like to give me another one of your favorite games of all time? Sure. Um, we were talking about it earlier. Let's go with Fallout 3. All right. Would you like to guess the number of Fallout, that Fallout 3 is? Let's say 140. 75. You're very close. It is 186. Wow. Can you guess what game it is objectively worse than? The single game. You have to go only one step below it. Okay, one step one above step it. Below it. One step above it. One step below You can also go one step below if you want to see what game it's objectively better than. Wasteland 2. It is objectively better than Left 4 Dead and objectively worse than City of Heroes. I don't know if I agree with that either. Would you like to tell me another one of your favorite games of all time? I was going to say City of Heroes, but now that you know <laughs> what that is. Um, what if we tried Threes? One of my favorite games of all time. Yes, it is. Would you like to guess where it's rated? If it were up to me, I mm-hmm. don't know what Polygon thinks about that game, mm-hmm. but if it were up to me, that would be at least 50. Okay. Uh, it is 337. No. And would you like to guess what game it is objectively better than or objectively worse than? It is objectively better than 2048. That's um. true, but that's not <laughs> where it is on this list. Okay. It is objectively better than Kim Kardashian's, um, that big mobile game that came out. It is objectively better than Yakuza 0 at 338, and objectively okay. worse than Quadrilateral Cowboy at 336. That's an interesting place to be so, in. So, let's talk about lists. Yeah. Game of the Year lists are bizarre. They're arbitrary. There's there's a sense of artifice to them. They exist primarily to, make, to, to give awards to games and to respect games that, like, people who are in the industry think did a good job. Exactly. But what's stranger than those lists are the best games of all times lists. Of course. We joked about how Ocarina of Time is almost exclusively always the best game of all time. That is not the case for this Polygon list. Good on them for bucking cliche, but also their best game of all time is Tetris. Spoilers. Spoilers. <laughs> which is confusing. Bizarre? Which Tetris? Like, I think like the, the issue with like this list in particular, right? So mm-hmm. we, for, for instance... When you asked me which Pokemon did I did I want, I said Soul Silver or Silver. The thing is, Soul Silver. It's not like it's not like with the Godfather, where the HD version of the Godfather is just better fidelity than the DVD version. Yeah. But it's fundamentally the same movie. There's like there's nothing really been added so much as you've got a better TV that's not capable of more. Soul Silver is a different, better video game. Totally. And part of their rules was that like 
you can't have multiple versions of the same video game. But like, for instance, if they went with Tetris, they'd go with Tetris, like the original release, they go with Tetris on the, the Nintendo, which is objectively one of the better ones, or do they go with the best one, which is for the Game Boy? Or, or, the, the, or the best, best one, which is Tetris the Grandmaster, which never came out in America. Or do they, do they go with like Puyo Puyo versus Tetris? Or do they go with Tetris DS? The amount of Tetri are endless. Yeah. But that's just this list, but games of games of all time lists are obviously subjective. But the issue with five putting five hundred games on this list is that the ostensibly this will allow your favorite game to be represented. However, it doesn't. Alto's Adventure is not here. Yeah. The other problem is that it creates this idea that you can place a game between two games and it's obviously better and worse than another, which is frustrating. It's not an objective measurement, but it creates this issue. Obviously, this is designed to be clicked on, and us interacting with it is giving it clicks. I don't have an issue with them making this list, and I think it's a really fun thought exercise. Yeah. But I do have to wonder, are we really a medium that wants to be able to say that one game is better than another? There aren't a list of the the 100 best movies of all time in order. People just say, these are 100 great movies. I think AFI does do that. Yeah, the, the American Film Institute, but they are like a fairly unique historic organization. Yeah, A serious critic would not list the 10 best movies of all time. They would likely list their 10 favorite movies of all time. Yes, and they might not even put it in a particular order. I think like maybe our philosophy might be different if we were to approach a list like this. Then again, we're not Polygon and we don't have like a million contributors. Yeah. The yeah, if the, we were making this list, like, <laughs> oh boy, <laughs> Phoenix Wright would be the, like, it would show up four times in the top 50. Yeah. But I feel like at the best you can, like, go with tiers. Like, you can say, like, okay, this game is in the 300s. This game is in the 400s. I, I mean, I also think that there's a very good merit for the most important games of all time, totally. which I think this list is very, very close to. It's similar to, but it's yeah. also not that, because yeah. Tetris is not. Tetris is great. Tetris is one of the most important games of all time. But, but is it more important than Super Mario Brothers 1? Than which, Doom? Than Wolfenstein? Like the, the whole point here is that lists are kind of dumb, but I, I do think that creating a list like this that says these are the best games, not the most important games, kind of returns games to when we treat them as commodities and not as pieces of art. Totally. And I think it is very frustrating, especially in the way that game that these games are written about yeah. uh, in this list. I, I, again, I don't want to begrudge Polygon. I think that this is an incredible undertaking that they did, and it's amazing that they found 500 video games at all. Yeah. Again, I didn't know 500 video games existed. And I think some of the games they did pick, like for instance, that Kim Kardashian mobile game did show, does show up on the list, and it's like the reason they picked it was because it was incredibly important to the way mobile games are built now and like that's that's great like the idea that a game like that could make it on one of these lists is is valid especially from an from polygon which like although it is it has like a wider mindset than like you might expect from a gaming website it still has like fairly traditional built-in values for and you can see that from the top 10 list to be honest the top 10 part of this list but it does allow you to highlight lesser known products i just wish that if they were going to do something like this, there was a way to better put them in context. Like, for instance, when you said that Yakuza 0, was it better or worse, Fan? It was objectively worse. Yeah. So, but that doesn't tell me anything. No. Like, if I were to make a choice between, it was threes, right? Yeah. If I were to make a choice between three and Yakuza 0, knowing that one is, like, marginally better than the other, in a scale, like, one out of 500 better than another, doesn't tell me anything about the game. No, and and the way they describe these games also doesn't tell you anything. For example, Kim Kardashian Hollywood is number 434 on the list. It is stacked between, below it, Indiana Jones and the Fate of Atlantis, the point-and-click adventure for the PC, and 434 Galaxigan, the arcade game. These are three extraordinarily different, non-comparable experiences. It's, and it, I would want to play each one on a different kind of day or in a different kind of mood. And I want to measure them in different ways almost. Like yeah. it, it feels like in the early days of, of GameSpot, 
where that was like that you're thinking of a website that used to be like it was that an IGN and they were the two big websites that fought for review coverage and they advertised themselves like we have a definitive score and GameSpot would go so far and IGN still does this to a bit where they would have like a formula and the reviewer would go into the back end and they would say like well audio gets this much video gets this much or graphics mm-hmm. gameplay gets this much and there was like a reviewer's tilt yep. meaning you could add like a bit of personality to it and then it would go through their, their algorithm and it would pump out a score and like that doesn't work like it's, no it's like, that's not how again games aren't commodities yeah they are they aren't appliances they aren't products the way that I mean they are but they are pieces of art yeah and while they might not always seem like that, they might seem like Zola's cash grab at the time. These are made by people, and they are experiences that affect people. And I think a list like this really detracts from that, um, especially without the context. I think if there was a context here, it, it could be a little bit improved. I, I I really am not sure what else to say about it other than please stay tuned for our own Game <laughs> of the Year show where we don't list games, but we essentially do. <laughs> That'll be next week if you keep tuning in. All right, thank you so much for showing me that, Dan. Of course. From CGRU, this has been Built to Play. I'm Armin Igbali. And I'm Daniel Rosen. You can follow us on Twitter at Built to Play or visit our website, builttoplay.ca. You can also find us on Facebook. But hey, if you really like the show, be sure to tell a friend or leave us a review at iTunes. It can really help us out. Or send us an email at builtplayshow at gmail.com. It'd be great to hear from you. You can follow me on Twitter personally at F-L-A-R-K-C-O-N. And I'm at Daniel underscore Rosen. And remember, Tiger Woods PGA Tour 12 is objectively better than Destiny 1. Thank you so much for listening.